Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants using technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, it's been a few weeks since we last chatted and there has been so much news. It's incredible. Yeah, I think we, we, we had the holiday weekend. We took that. So we took off last Friday. We did not do it, record a show. And in the meantime, we've had 10, 15, 16, 20 important things that came out. So I guess we're going to plow through them all today. Let's just see what we got. So uh, what's top of mind for you? There was an article that was from NPR's Planet Money has a uh, separate podcast called The Indicator. And it's a short podcast. It's like six minutes a day. But every day they, they focus on some number. And this episode, the, the focus was $15 billion a year. And it's all related to something that a lot of we as uh, cloud accountants, right? Implementing automated time tracking systems. And they're, oh, they're, I listened they're to this episode. I subscribed oh, to cool. the indicator. Yeah, yeah this yeah, is yeah. a great episode. And so the 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 argument is is that all of the, there was a study done by the University of Oregon, and it's a short episode, so everybody should just take time to listen to it. We'll put the link in there. But the the study the, the argument is is that all these automated time timesheet software packages because they can automatically stick in breaks, and then sometimes like the in the story, this lady's a nurse, and sometimes she does follow up on clients while she's on break on her phone. So she's really working. So she's not on a break. And then the way all these automated time, uh, timesheet software and timekeeping software rounds to the nearest hundredth of quarter, quarter hours, it all adds up to like $15 billion in uh, wages that maybe our um, employees are losing. And so it's interesting because I think from uh, you know our point of view all the time on the accountant side of the world is like, hey, we're helping the small business owner save a bunch of money, right? And it's kind of, here's an opposing viewpoint. The origin story of T-Sheets, uh, Matt Rissell, that he tells, is uh, that he, you know, he had a business where he had employees clocking in and clocking out. And one day, um, he wanted to check and make sure that they were actually doing it correctly. And this employee that he really trusted, it turned out that she was rounding up 15 minutes every day. And he calculated out if everybody did that, how much money that would cost the business. And so there's an employer side of the argument, which is that, you know, you don't want employees overcharging for their time. But there's also the other side, which is uh, it's possible for employers to set up systems in which uh, the employees get small segments of time chopped off their timesheet. The interesting part, uh, I think, about this is like it was very specific about the automation of time tracking which I thought was kind of an interesting that, 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 that it was phrased in that, that way, which means now, you know, I, obviously this is the cloud accounting podcast. We've been talking about it, in our industry and space the last four or five years, everybody's talking about automation and et cetera, et cetera. But now the employees are starting to comprehend like, Hey, wait a minute. Like I, I, they, they're starting to comprehend the pluses and minuses of all this automation. So this could be a theme with not just time software, but in general going forward, are we going to see employees push back on some automation? Right. And the specific issue in this case is that the uh, hospital that uh, is uh, used as a case study in this episode, they have mandatory breaks in the time tracking system. So it automatically deducts 30 minutes for a lunch. And the employee, when they come back, they are required to click, did you get your lunch? And they have to say either yes or no. They are discouraged, of course, from saying no. So they feel like they have to say yes, even if they didn't get an uninterrupted lunch. Depending on how you set up the system, whether it's opt-in or opt-out for that sort of thing, that can have serious consequences yeah. for your employees. Well, speaking of apps, I've got another uh, interesting development that I'd like to share. So you know um, I'm a huge fan of Slack, the team chat application. We use that here at Flowcast, and I've used it in my accounting firms in the past. And we use it in Intuit as well. Yeah. 
it's fantastic. Uh, some people love it, some people hate it, but uh, it's a replacement for email and you know it works in that regard. So the new thing with Slack that they just released is a feature called Actions. Uh, what Actions let you do is interact with other apps from directly in Slack. And the example um, that, that I'm familiar with is Asana. So we use Asana for some uh, uh, project management in relation to marketing here at Flowcast. Uh, it used to be that that and Slack were pretty much separate. I could set up Asana to send notifications into Slack, but if I wanted to act on any of those things, I had to go back into Asana. Well, now Slack is allowing developers to create actions, to do things in their own applications from inside of Slack. So I can actually click on a message in Slack and I can turn that into an action in Asana right from in Slack. Or I can like something in Asana right from in Slack. It's, it's really interesting because it used to be that developers would fight this sort of thing, right? They would try to keep control uh, of, of all the activity and try to get the users in their own applications. But it seems like Slack is, has decided, no, it's better to partner and, and not try to build it ourselves, but allow developers to build all that stuff inside of Slack. What do you think? Yeah, I, I saw the headline on this, or I saw a tweet or something about the actions, but I didn't know too much of what it is, or I, or I didn't read too much into it at all. But it's interesting because, like, I think we've we at one time had thought about concepts like this with um, at one time back in the early days when we were building um, our app marketplace in the QuickBooks apps, we kind of had this button all the apps had to put in their their app. And they could use that button to navigate from app to app to app. And one of the thoughts was where if I was in one app, let's say a bill.com, and I had to prove timesheets and T-sheets, I wouldn't have to leave bill.com bill to do it. It would just pop up in T-sheets, like the, the, the approval. Or, sorry, it would, approve, it would just pop up in this menu button that was inside of uh, bill.com. So I wouldn't have to leave and jump around. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's similar. It's almost like an evolution of that, con that, that concept of like, hey, if I just have to do one small thing fast, then I'm already in one piece of UI, in this case, Slack. If I can approve uh, a work task or get a to-do list assigned to me without leaving Slack, it's going to save time for everybody. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see what happens in terms of accounting integrations. Like if, you know, if, if Intuit and Expensify uh, and bill.com end up building actions in Slack so that, you know, like if it, let's say a, a bill is assigned to you for approval in bill.com, you could get a notification in Slack and then you could actually approve it right from in Slack without having to go into bill.com. That would be really cool. Or same thing for an expense report or same thing for uh, something in like an invoice in, in QBO. Yeah, especially because I think a lot of accountants now um, are starting to set up Slack channels with their clients. And so if, if you could you know, have the client review something or give you an approval or a thumbs up without them having to open up some of their app, right? If they can just do that right through Slack, it's just a time saver, especially for the small business owner, right? If they can just uh, reply on a, just press a button, yes or no, um, in a communication tool instead of having to launch a separate app. It's a huge victory. Yeah, really cool. All right, David, your turn. What about the latest Intuit numbers? We announced new numbers, I think, uh, May 22nd. I think the big one is just the growth of QuickBooks Online. I mean, it's uh, cloud accounting continues just to grow. Um, online subscribers, I think, if it says here in the press release. Yeah, this number is crazy. 3.2 million QuickBooks Online subscribers, up 45%. Wow. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very clear that from an industry perspective, we're not talking about cloud accounting's coming anymore. Like, it's here. I mean, that's is that is that more than desktop now? I don't think so. It's close, though. I feel like I feel like it's pretty close. And uh, numbers that I've seen from other accounting systems, we're about half and half, right? Half of companies 
who are using accounting software are on desktop or on-premises solutions, and about half have moved online. So we're at this tipping point now, and it's really exciting to have watched this over the last 10 years go from almost nobody on online to almost half. Oh, I I think if you you step back and put it in perspective, absolutely right. I remember early on those first, uh, you go to accounting conferences and people would say, I will never use that. Like, like they, they would just say they would never use an online software accounting package, right? And to look where we are now um, and the journey that's happened and you've watched. And now you talk to accountants where they will only put their clients on uh, on QuickBooks Online, right? Um, we've just... The, the, it's amazing if you step back and really take in the last, like you said, six years. The other interesting part is the worldwide growth is... Um, I think that increased like 66%, it says in the press release. I think that's... a, You know, as, as the, all these other markets are adopting cloud technology even though maybe they even skipped the desktop world, right? They're just going straight into cloud. Hey, so, well, speaking of online and um, speaking of global, I, I found this interesting study mentioned in Business Insider about millennials and their views of banks versus Amazon and, and PayPal and, and how much they trust banks. Maybe this is not a surprise to a lot of folks, but a survey of 2,000 Brits found that a majority of 18 to 24-year-olds trust Amazon and PayPal ahead of banks when it comes to protecting their personal data. Of course, 77% of all people surveyed don't trust Facebook with their data in the wake of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. I, I find it amazing that people would trust PayPal more than a bank, uh, given that you know PayPal is not regulated the way banks are and all that stuff with their personal information. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the concept of trust, right? And w- what that, that means or that they surveyed it this way. Like um, Years ago, I was tweeting about that Amazon, PayPal, like uh, Microsoft, Starbucks, like Facebook, they're all going to be our new ba- Apple, Google, right? They're all going to be our new banks. And it's starting to kind of happen, but I didn't know like a whole generation of people now even trust them more than they trust their banks, which, yeah, this is yeah. Uh, another shift, right? We're, we're in the midst of it. Oh, and then they, they also talk about the in the US, right? In that article. Yeah, 73% of millennials say they'd be more excited to get financial services from Google, Amazon, or PayPal than from their bank. I've not been excited about something my bank has emailed me about ever in my entire life. I'm 43, right? I've been excited about things I've seen I can do when I got my Google Pay on my phone or um, when I've used PayPal in places. So I, I could kind of I can understand this number from an excitement standpoint. The trust is still interesting, but the excitement I get. Hey, well, speaking of trust, I think you've got something about our favorite topic, GDPR. Oh yes, yeah. so I'm sure everybody has had. 10 million emails about GDPR, right? This last two weeks. Um, first, first, what is GDPR? Okay, let's say it the correct way. It's the General Data Protection Regulation. Oh, that's so exciting. Yes, it's so exciting. Um, and it comes out of Europe, European Union, or technically the European Commission as part of the, in the European Union. And it creates a bunch of rules on data and data privacy. For example, if you leave a service, you have the right to request all the data that that service has about you. And they have to delete your data after that, right? Um, so it's a lot of privacy-related uh, privacy type things. Uh, the reason everybody's getting those emails is, in general, you have to opt in now. And they have to make sure you're opt-in to, to receiving communication. So hopefully, you know, a lot of people's inboxes will be um, thinned out a little. So I have a question for you, Blake. So I know you have a huge mailing list, about 1,500 people or 2,000, whatever you have. Do you know how exactly who's in the European Union? Did you have to email them to opt into your email list going forward? Did you even 
consider this as an impact to you. Yeah, I'm I'm not totally sure. I know there was a lot of uh, flurry going on as the regulations went into effect. Um, We do now have a notice on our website. I think everyone has seen those pop-ups on like every website now saying that we use cookies and we collect your information in this way. You know, by using our website, you consent to having us collect this information. We did have to send out a notification to everyone. Uh, I think that uh, we don't buy email lists because it doesn't really work. So uh, I, I think everyone has opted into our email emails anyway. So, um, but we did have to send out a notice. So of you course. did send out a notice. Okay. Do you think any accounts that have their own email list probably need to do the, do the same? Well, yeah, if you, uh, so you know, I have an email newsletter and um, everyone has opted into that. If you have an email newsletter and you didn't get consent, then you should do that. Absolutely. I mean, otherwise you're in violation of the rules. And I think the penalties can be pretty steep if if you've got customers in the European Union. If they're not in the EU, then uh, you're, you're, you're free. But a lot of times you don't know where people are. So it's best just to be conservative and follow the rules. Yeah. And I think there's a, a couple of big parts of this too. If there is a breach, you have to disclose it within a certain amount of time. Like, you can't, like a lot of these breaches we find out about nine months to a year and a half after the fact right? And so the, the breaches have to be very public and everybody has to be notified immediately of the breach. And there's pretty steep fines um, in the millions and millions if they do not do this. Yeah. Um, it's impacted like some companies have folded. So this went to infect on May 25th, I think. And some companies completely have shut down operations, which I find that's interesting. For example, Clout, right? And it, what, what, this, what I suspect is going on is some of those companies basically were doing nothing but harvesting personal information and reselling it. Right. And if they couldn't get permission for it, they're out of business because nobody's going to give them permission. Yeah. And so I think there's a, a few um, companies that have completely just shut down operations as of May 25th. So, so I think in the short term, it maybe there's some benefits to this, but is it going to be just like all other regulations? Like eventually it'll go to lax or like who's going to enforce it? I think there's, it's probably opening up a lot of questions. Um, but I think as everybody's probably wondering why they're getting all those emails and this is why. So this is a good article that I have a link to that just covers really the high level overview of everything and how it's going to impact. Um, really, it's going to impact a lot of the app developers, right? That that have data of yours that are based in Europe. Maybe they're not based in Europe. So it's just going to have, you know, affect everybody involved. Yeah, and it's going to be a lot of extra work for the smaller ones in particular. Yes. Well, on a completely unrelated topic, uh, you know that I love automation. And I'm always interested in fears about automation and uh, the responses and, and actual automation affecting people's jobs. And so this last article I've got today is in Gizmodo about 50,000 Las Vegas workers who are ready to go on strike over fears of robots taking their jobs. There are uh, contract negotiations going on right now uh, with the culinary and bartenders unions uh, and the casinos in Las Vegas. Uh, the hospitality employees uh, are, are worried that um, the big casino operators are going to put in place automation for, uh, you know, kitchen type jobs, that sort of thing. Um, and so they want uh, provisions in their contract to prevent that from happening, uh, which I find interesting. I mean, it's it's a real concern. They're going to do their best to stop it. Now, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I mean, personally. I think uh, it, it's bad to say we're going to prevent automation. I mean, it's just something. It's like it's like you can't stop it. it, it this 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 goes all the way back to uh, the Luddites, right? Uh, protesting against the automation of machinery in manufacturing back uh, hundreds of years ago. 
I mean, better to embrace it. Yeah, and I mean, I could see, you know, the the free uh, vodka cranberry you get when you're playing a slot machine, which is like the worst possible house vodka, right? And they're kind of just pumping those out without any care or love. I could see a robot pumping those out for people and nobody cares. But when you want a real cocktail, you probably want a craftsman, right? And so it's going to kind of shift people to, uh, you know, from... Nobody wants to make those junky drinks anyways, right? It's going to shift people to focus on doing more craft-like. I mean, to me, if this were the accounting industry or accounting profession, this would be like um, clerks and bookkeepers banding together to prevent employers from implementing automation that eliminates data entry. We would never stand for that. Yeah, or just even working backwards to when the PC first came out and spreadsheets first came out. Oh, that can do math faster than I can. I have by hand. I have to erase everything and then re- rewrite it with and then recalculate it um, or start a whole new pay- piece of paper. Right. So it, it, there is also like an illogical fear to this. I think. Well. I'll tell you, the stakes are real. So there was a study from the University of Redlands earlier this year that predicted, and this is cited in the article, as much as 65% of the city's jobs in Las Vegas could be automated within the next 20 years, especially those lower uh, wage uh, working gigs that require performing repetitive tasks. So like you said, the waitress who comes around with the cocktail while you're sitting at the slot machine, a robot could just walk around the casino and do that. Yeah, I I think... um Actually, at Intuit, the, uh, apparently at the main campus, they're doing some experiments where there's some robots that you can order lunch at your desk, and this robot will bring you your lunch across the campus to your desk. Right now? That's so, awesome. So, yeah. So, actually, I'm kind of, now that you mentioned that, I'm, I'm surprised the casino's not doing this already. Like some robots just riding around, giving you drinks, dispensing them. Like, I'm kind of, it's surprising it's not here already, actually. <laughs> Uh, like well, it's totally for possible. all the technology they do. Uh, yeah, what was it? Was it at QuickBooks Connect one of those years uh, recently where they had the robot bartender? Yes, so that that, that could actually re, um, give some of these people. As of right now, I think that robot bartender was a little slow. I mean, if anybody wants to imagine, you know, that they've seen like robots working on an assembly line of an automobile factory, it was like two of those arms moving around and it was making drinks. But I think it was like a 45-minute queue to get your drink. I mean, maybe that's acceptable to you being in LA, but I think for most most people, <laughs> you want your drink in like three or four minutes. You don't want to wait 45 minutes for a drink. Well, I, I mean, the important thing is that the technology works. The drinks were good. It's just a matter of speeding it up now. Yes. yes. Well, it's, it's going to happen. I, I even think I saw just on a related note, not if it's just um, robot technology. I think I saw some beer cups. They're like pint glasses that have a nozzle in the bottom. And yes, I've seen this. And they, they just slam it down in like some sort of dispenser. It goes and it fills the cup from the bottom up. And bars that are implementing this are able to sell like 10 to 15% more alcohol because it's just that much faster to fill the cups. And I think they also have less waste. Yeah, because you're not, you're not getting that big old head that you're dumping out to, to fill out the rest of the beer. So, so, so it's interesting, right? So it's not even robots and automation that are making things efficient, just technology in general. Well, on that note, David, we've used up most of our time. I think it's time to say goodbye until next week. Well, I've, maybe we'll put it in the notes. We don't have to discuss it because it's a super, super long article. But there's an article that's worth uh, people noting and maybe taking a look at. It's um, the financial scandal no one is talking about. And essentially, it, the premise is that the big four firms are just almost so big, like nobody's keeping them in check. Oh, yeah. This is a good long read in The Guardian. Um, super long read. So we'll, we'll post the link to it. Well, they're talking about breaking up the big four in the UK. That's what That's what stimulated all of this. 
and some recent scandals. Yeah, so I think this is a good one that, I mean, we could discuss it for hours, uh, but I think it's a good article that people should take a look at. It's, it's probably pretty important. I'll give it a read. Awesome. All right, David. Talk to you soon. All right. Later, Blake.